This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Life of Ma Parker by Catherine Mansfield when the literary gentleman whose flat old ma parker cleaned every tuesday opened the door to her that morning he asked after her grandson ma parker stood on the doormat inside the dark little hall and she stretched out her hand to help her gentleman shut the door before she replied we buried him yesterday sir she said quietly oh dear me i'm sorry to hear that said the literary gentleman in a shocked tone he was in the middle of his breakfast he wore a very shabby dressing-gown and carried a crumbled newspaper in one hand but he felt awkward he could hardly go back to the warm sitting-room without saying something something more then because these people set such store by funerals he said kindly i hope the funeral went off all right beg pardon sir said old ma parker huskily poor old bird she did look dashed i hope the funeral was a a success said he ma parker gave no answer she bent her head and hobbled off to the kitchen clasping the old fish bag that held her cleaning things and an apron and a pair of felt shoes the literary gentleman raised his eyebrows and went back to his breakfast overcome i suppose he said aloud helping himself to the marmalade. Ma Parker drew the two jetty spears out of her toque and hung it behind the door. She unhooked her worn jacket and hung that up too. Then she tied her apron and sat down to take off her boots. To take off her boots or to put them on was an agony to her, but it had been an agony for years. In fact, she was so accustomed to the pain that her face was drawn and screwed up ready for the twinge before she'd so much as untied the laces. That over, she sat back with a sigh and softly rubbed her knees. Gran, Gran, her little grandson stood on her lap in his button boots. He'd just come in from playing in the street. Look what a state you've made your grand skirt into, you wicked boy but he put his arms round her neck and rubbed his cheek against hers. Gran, gears a penny, he coaxed. Be off with you. Gran ain't got no pennies. Yes, you have. No, I ain't. Yes, you have. Gears one. Already she was feeling for the old squashed black leather purse. Well, what'll you give your Gran? He gave a shy little laugh and pressed closer. She felt his eyelid quivering against her cheek. I ain't got nothing, he murmured. The old woman sprang up, seized the iron kettle off the gas stove and took it over to the sink. The noise of the water drumming in the kettle deadened her pain, it seemed. She filled the pail, too, and the washing-up bowl. It would take a whole book to describe the state of that kitchen during the week the literary gentleman did for himself. That is to say, he emptied the tea leaves now and again into a jam jar set aside for that purpose, and if he ran out of clean forks, he wiped over one or two on the roller towel. Otherwise, 
as he explained to his friends, his system was quite simple, and he couldn't understand why people made all this fuss about housekeeping. You simply dirty everything you've got, get a hag in once a week to clean up, and the thing's done. The result looked like a gigantic dustbin. Even the floor was littered with toast crusts, envelopes, cigarette ends, but Ma Parker bore him no grudge. She pitied the poor young gentleman for having no one to look after him. Out of the smudgy little window you could see an immense expanse of sad-looking sky, and whenever there were clouds they looked very worn, old clouds, frayed at the edges, with holes in them, or dark stains like tea. While the water was heating, Ma Parker began sweeping the floor. Yes, she thought, as the broom knocked, what with one thing and another, I've had my share, I've had a hard life. Even the neighbours said that of her, many a time, hobbling home with her fish bag, she heard them, waiting at the corner, or leaning over the area railings, saying among themselves, she's had a hard life, has Ma Parker. And it was true, she wasn't in the least proud of it. It was just as if you were to say she lived in the basement back at number 27, a hard life. At sixteen, she'd left Stratford and come up to London as kitchen maid. Yes, she was born in Stratford on Avon. Shakespeare, sir. No, people were always asking her about him, but she'd never heard his name until she saw it on the theatres. Nothing remained of Stratford except that, sitting in the fireplace of her evening, you could see the stars through the chimney. And mother always had her side of bacon hanging from the ceiling. And there was something, a bush, there was, at the front door, that smell ever so nice. But the bush was so very vague. She'd only remembered it once or twice in the hospital, when she'd been taken bad. That was a dreadful place, her first place. She was never allowed out. She never went upstairs except for prayers, morning and evening. It was a fair cellar, and the cook was a cruel woman. She used to snatch away her letters from home before she'd read them, and throw them in the range because they made her dreamy. And the beetles, would you believe it? Until she came to London, she'd never seen a black beetle. Here, Ma always gave a little laugh, as though not to have seen a black beetle. Well, it was as if to say you'd never seen your own feet. When that family was sold up, she went as help to a doctor's house, and after two years there, on the run from morning till night, she married her husband. He was a baker. A baker, Mrs. Parker, the literary gentleman would say, for occasionally he laid aside his toms and lent an ear. At least to this product called life. It must be rather nice to be married to a baker. Mrs. Parker didn't look so sure. Such a clean trade, said the gentleman. Mrs. Parker didn't look convinced. And didn't you like handing the new loaves to the customers? Well, sir, said Mrs. Parker, I wasn't in the shop above a great deal. We had thirteen little ones and buried seven of them. If it wasn't the hospital, it was the infirmary, you might say. You might indeed, Mrs. Parker, said the gentleman. 
shuddering and taking up his pen again. Yes, seven had gone, and while the six were still small, her husband was taken ill with consumption. It was flour on the lungs, the doctor told her at the time. Her husband sat up in bed with his shirt pulled over his head, and the doctor's finger drew a circle on his back. Now, if we were to cut him open here, Mrs. Parker, said the doctor, you'd find his lungs chock-a-block with white powder. Breathe, my good fellow. And Mrs. Parker never knew for certain whether she saw or whether she fancied she saw a great fan of white dust come out of her poor dead husband's lips. But the struggle she had to bring up those six little children and keep herself to herself. Terrible it had been. Then, just when they were old enough to go to school, her husband's sister came to stop with them to help things along, and she hadn't been there more than two months when she fell down a flight of stairs and hurt her spine. And for five years Ma Parker had another baby, and such a one for crying, to look after. Then young Maudie went wrong and took her sister Alice with her. The two boys emigrated, and young Jim went to India with the army, and Ethel, the youngest, married a good-for-nothing little waiter who died of ulcers the year little Lenny was born, and now little Lenny, my grandson. The piles of dirty cups, dirty dishes were washed and dried. The ink-black knives were cleaned with a piece of potato and finished off with a piece of cork. The table was scrubbed, and the dresser and the sink that had sardine tails swimming in it. He'd never been a strong child, never from the first. He'd been one of those fair babies that everybody took for a girl. Silvery fair curls he had, blue eyes, and a little freckle like a diamond on one side of his nose. The trouble she and Ethel had had to rear that child, the things out of newspapers they tried with him, Every Sunday morning, Ethel would read aloud while Ma Parker did her washing. Dear sir, just a line to let you know my little Myrtle was laid out for dead. After four bottles, gained eight pounds in nine weeks, and is still putting it on. And then the egg cup of ink would come off the dresser, and the letter would be written, and Ma would buy a postal order on her way to work next morning. But it was no use. Nothing made little Lenny put it on. Taking him to the cemetery, even, never gave him a colour. A nice shake-up in the bus never improved his appetite. But he was Gran's boy from the first. Whose boy are you? said old Ma Parker, straightening up from the stove and going over to the smudgy window. And a little voice, so warm, so close, it half stifled her. It seemed to be in her breast, under her heart, laughed out and said, I'm Gran's boy. At that moment there was a sound of steps, and the literary gentleman appeared, dressed for walking. Oh, Mrs. Parker, I'm going out. Very good, sir. And you'll find your half-crown in the tray of the inkstand. Thank you, sir. Oh, by the way, Mrs. Parker, said the literary gentleman, quickly, you didn't throw away any cocoa last time you were here, did you? No, sir. Very strange. I could have sworn I left a teaspoonful of cocoa in the tin. He broke off, 
he said softly and firmly. You'll always tell me when you throw things away, won't you, Mrs. Parker? And he walked off, very pleased with himself, convinced, in fact, he'd shown Mrs. Parker that under his apparent carelessness he was as vigilant as a woman. The door banged. She took her brushes and cloths into the bedroom, but when she began to make the bed, smoothing, tucking, patting, the thought of little Lenny was unbearable. Why did he have to suffer so? That's what she couldn't understand. Why should a little angel child have to ask for his breath and fight for it? There was no sense in making a child suffer like that. From Lenny's little box of a chest, there came a sound as though something was boiling. There was a great lump of something bubbling in his chest that he couldn't get rid of. When he coughed, the sweat sprung out on his head. His eyes bulged, his hands waved, and the great lump bubbled as a potato knocks in a saucepan. But what was more awful than all was when he didn't cough. He sat against the pillow and never spoke or answered, or even made as if he heard. Only he looked offended. It's not your poor old brand's doing it, my lovey, said old Ma Parker, patting back the damp hair from his little scarlet ears. But Lenny moved his head and edged away. Dreadfully offended with her, he looked, and solemn. He bent his head and looked at her sideways, as though he couldn't have believed it of his gran. But, at last, Ma Parker threw the counterpane over the bed. No, she simply couldn't think about it. It was too much. She had too much in her life to bear. She'd borne it up till now. She'd kept herself to herself, and never once had she been seen to cry. Never by a living soul. Not even her own children had seen Ma break down. She'd kept a proud face always. But now, Lenny gone, what had she? She had nothing. He was all she'd got from life, and now he was took too. Why must it all have happened to me? She wondered. What have I done? said old Ma Parker. What have I done? As she said those words, she suddenly let fall of her brush. She found herself in the kitchen. Her misery was so terrible that she pinned on her hat, put on her jacket, and walked out of the flat like a person in a dream. She did not know what she was doing. She was like a person, so dazed by the horror of what has happened that he walks away, anywhere, as though by walking away he could escape. It was cold in the street. There was a wind like ice. People went flitting by, very fast. The men walked like scissors. The women trod like cats. And nobody knew, nobody cared, even if she broke down. If at last, after all these years, she were to cry, she'd find herself in the lock-up as like as not. But at the thought of crying, it was as though little Lenny leapt in his grand's arms. Ah, that's what she wants to do, my dove. Gran wants to cry. If she could, only cry now, cry for a long time, over everything, beginning with her first place and the cruel cook, going on to the doctors, and then the seven little ones, death of her husband, the children's leaving her, 
and all the years of misery that led up to Lenny. But to have a proper cry over all these things would take a long time. All the same, the time for it had come. She must do it. She couldn't put it off any longer. She couldn't wait any more. Where could she go? She's had a hard life, has Ma Parker. Yes, a hard life, indeed. Her chin began to tremble. There was no time to lose. But where? Where? She couldn't go home. Ethel was there. It would frighten Ethel out of her life. She couldn't sit on a bench anywhere. People would come asking her questions. She couldn't possibly go back to the gentleman's flat. She had no right to cry in strangers' houses. If she sat on some steps, a policeman would speak to her. Oh, wasn't there anywhere where she could hide and keep herself to herself and stay as long as she liked, not disturbing anybody and nobody worrying her? Wasn't there anywhere in the world where she could have her cry out? At last, Ma Parker stood, looking up and down. The icy wind blew out her apron into a balloon, and now it began to rain. There was nowhere. End of story.